Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include work from home figures, my interview with Funding Shields, Ike Surrey, on solutions against title and wire fraud, and the Fed and inflation. Today's podcast is brought to you by Simple Nexus, an Encino company and award-winning developer of mobile-first technology for the modern mortgage lender. Nexus Closing seamlessly integrates with Nexus Origination to unite the home buying experience from application to close. E-signing and disclosures expedite disclosure timelines and automate compliance documentation along the way. To learn more about Nexus Closing features that reduce manufacturing costs and bolster borrower experience, visit simplenexus.com. The study of how people borrow money and where they're moving is of great interest to LOs and lenders as well as vendors and real estate agents. Though many believe that the spike in work-from-home workers associated with the COVID-19 pandemic would lead to greater geographic mobility, the number of domestic movers in the United States actually declined from 2019 to 2021. The percentage of the people in the United States who moved in the previous year declined from about 14% to roughly 13%, according to the 2019 and 2021 American Community Survey estimates. In 2019, 7.6% of the U.S. population moved to a new residence in the same county. By 2021, that percentage had declined to 6.7%. However, the percentage of those who reported that they had moved the previous year to a new residence in a different county within the same state increased from 3.2% to 3.3% between 2019 and 2021. Movers to a new residence in a different state increased from 23 to 2.4%. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Funding Shield's Ike Surrey to talk about wire and title fraud risk management. Funding Shield has cybersecurity risk prevention tools and risk automation, which help their clients right size while maintaining compliance, review, and risk management workflows in this challenging market. Wire and title fraud risks are pervasive, thus, the solutions being leveraged allow clients to save up to $200 per transaction. The solutions deployed by large banks to small lenders have saved over $2.5 trillion to date. I want to start by asking you to explain what wire fraud is for my listeners and, and how does it impact both borrowers and lenders? Sure. So as you know, we are known um, as a company that focuses on prevention against wire and title fraud. It has become an epidemic in the industry over the few years. Uh, that the industry has gone through digitization, uh, new technologies being introduced, new vulnerabilities simultaneously being introduced, work from home, COVID, and market volatility. With that said, wire fraud typically is uh, when a bad actor interjects in the middle of a process of wire fraud going from a lender into a closing venue, be it an attorney, an escrow account, a title agent, and so on. And the money is hijacked and doesn't get there. It happens because of several reasons. Um, There are so many different schemes that keep coming out, but a few of them that most people are familiar with and I can highlight are, of course, business email compromise, all sorts of other schemes of um, interfering in transmission of data via switches, routers, telecom switches, voice as well, internal actors, external actors, focus institutions outside of USA attacking the U.S. commerce, 
And it's obviously a very attractive amount of money because it's, a, it's the largest purse a thief can go after, um, you know, compared to the old days of thieves attacking $10 charges on credit cards and they have to attack a thousand. Whereas in this case, it's a pretty big loot that they can attack. It affects the lender because, as we know, mortgage lenders spend quite a bit of an effort and money to originate a transaction. Nowadays, just originating a transaction ends up costing about nine to $10,000 per transaction. And if you get to a point where you can't even close it and your money's hijacked, you've not only uh, lost an opportunity to close a transaction as a lender, but you've ended up in a place where you've lost money uh, on top of your expenses. And it's just a nightmare. On the flip side of it, consumers, when buying a house, are also being attacked. And the problem there is the consumers don't have any resources like large organizations do or banks do or mortgage lenders. And consumers are put into this position that their life savings can be hijacked via all these different schemes. And they have no recourse. There's no insurance. Unfortunately, they're left in a black hole where they have to end up suing the bank that they had the money with from where they were going to transfer into a closing, the title company or the attorney that they were working with, and also the borrower they were getting the money from. Because all these stakeholders are working in concert to help close a transaction. And it's just a nightmare because they have no recourse and their life savings are gone. So that's an example of how wire fraud affects lenders and borrowers. I think wire fraud is an easier concept for people to understand than title fraud. Wire fraud, you know, oh, I wired the money to the wrong place. Can you explain what title fraud is and, and how the fraudsters are going about committing it? Title fraud is a little more complex. Um, since the 2008 Great Recession, uh, federal reg regulators came in and changed a number of regulations in order to ensure that the exposure of fraud and exposure of non-governance uh, is managed. And in order to comply with those regulations, there's a whole lot of list of items that need to be verified, not just taken on face value. The industry had been plagued with you know, great relationships, and relationships don't mean harm, but if a relationship cannot manage their risk, these new sophisticated ways of getting data theft and wire fraud taking place, and they're all incentivized to make fees in closing a transaction. And so cutting corners and cutting costs leads to non-verification. Historically, that's been the case. And of course, in these markets, and as technology has evolved, that same good technology is available to bad actors. They can interfere in these exchanges of data representation and alter, ignore, neglect, or just not facilitate the verifications that are required. And in that case, a title fraud can take place as well. Um, what we do at Funding Shield is not just um, 
review what has been submitted as representations for um, a transaction, but also validate and verify the data using real-time source data to ensure representations are being made correctly. You know, um, somewhere close to about, when it comes to title fraud, there's so many different ways it can take place. Of course, title could be wrong and not really verified, and it does not belong to the party, and you're doing a transfer of a transaction where everybody's taking it on face value, and then you find out, oh, the title's not in good order. It doesn't belong to the party that's giving Now, in our last analytics of Q4 2022, we found 5.25% of transactions that we had reviewed and verified on behalf of our clients in that quarter. And it was a sizable amount. It was close to about $60 billion worth of transactions or more that we looked at as a uh, sample portfolio to do the analytics out of. 5.25% of those transactions had CPL agent validation related errors with title insurer systems at all time high. That's just crazy. 6% of agents had insufficient insurance coverage. Now, there's a requirement for these parties to have enough insurance coverage when handling transactions and dollar values that are quite important to have um, covered. And they don't even have that coverage. And it's against the law to do a transaction where they don't have that kind of <laughs> coverage. So a couple of examples and statistics, like I shared, are a little more complex than simple wire fraud and require a lot more than just a review. Funding Shield operates in both the business-to-business, but also the business-to-business-to-consumer space in ways that other vendors don't. How do you focus your resources on providing both counterparties there with a robust product? A very good question. So at the request of a top three bank in the U.S., American bank, we were asked to deliver a product that could be consumer-facing so that home borrowers do not fall vulnerable and pray, excuse me, pray to bad actors and provide a resource that could help them from uh, – help them against wire fraud. And so it led to a solution that is B2B2C. Our company is the first and the only company that provides this solution. It is a very simple, mobile, immersive, uh, low-tech, simple tool that they can use to enter three fields and ensure money is going to the right designated, licensed, intended party. Our resources are pretty common for both sides of the closing venue, meaning lenders, B2B, and also for the consumers, B2C. Um, Because of our automation and the largest ecosystem and repository in the industry, which is real-time and live with transaction history going back 15, 20 years, we're able to provide, for lack of a better word, uh, an exchange where there's an instant response to verification. And when it comes to escalations, meaning errors found and preventing them, our automation also allows both parties to instantaneously be notified that the data that you have and you submitted is is a cause for 
halt because the data is no good, destination's no good. Now it could be for several reasons. It could be intended fraud, mismatch, internal, external, all sorts of different reasons. But if it doesn't match right there, there's a flag. So the way we built our system, automation allows us to instantly update, inform, and alert either side of the closing venue. The business lender, mortgage lender, the B2B side, or the consumer. And when the escalation is highlighted, giving them an option to remediate is the same um, protocol uh, to help correct that. So fortunately, because the repository is common to both sides and the workflow is such the way we designed it, it uh, keeps us in a good position to be on top of our toes and deliver on both sides with the same resources. You release a quarterly wire and title fraud report, the latest version of which is out this week. What are your recent findings? Um, <clears throat> great question. We have been doing our quarterly analytics on uh, this particular issue in the market for the last two, three years. The last quarterly data we published was for Q4 2022. We found 50.5% of transactions had issues leading to wire and title fraud risk. And about 5.25% of transactions were not even registered or valid in title insurer systems at time of closing. That's a huge number, an all-time high. We found 13% increase in wire instructions on Q2Q basis. These were wire instruction issues. And we found 8.7% in CPL errors, closing protection letter errors during Q4 of an all-time high in this category. We saw also a client growth as a vendor of 63% during that last year. Lenders were dealing through a number of resizing uh, initiatives. And in that, we saw an increase in fraud risk because of that, because as soon as you're right-sizing, you've got a skeleton crew as a lender and you're dealing with shortage of hands and processes that can lead to vulnerabilities from tech perspective to um, expertise perspective as far as humans involved. And that desire to convert to a variable cost structure in a dynamic situation can lead to vulnerabilities that trigger more fraud. We've seen increasing new, increasingly new schemes of initiatives in the market for committing fraud. And so we have a $5 million per transaction coverage. That's the only offering of its type in the market. And we've seen that to be a key driver to this growth of providing this kind of a tool, which has incredible value in this market, where there's a really high risk environment that we're operating on. We found 8.7% increase in CPL-related errors. We point, found 6.6% 6, 6 of agents had insufficient insurance coverage. We found 1.6 percentage of agents were unlicensed, meaning they didn't even have a license to operate on a transaction mm -hmm. to make a fee. <laughs> so these are some of the findings that we highlighted. And it's uh, this kind of behavior and this kind of unchecked um, you know, errors or intended errors or neglect are here to stay. They're not going away in an environment. I mean, fraud has an inverse relationship. When the volumes are down, the markets are low. Fraud only goes up, and we're noticing that day by day.
So I feel like it begs asking, what sets one mortgage risk compliance and fraud vendor apart from one another? Historically, risk and compliance was neglected. In the recent years, with the market volatility and environment of how to work from home and hybrid, it's only gone up. The awareness of the biggest loot available in the U.S. economy or commerce being mortgage closings has become more and more um, uh, acknowledged by bad actors. The regulators have come down really hard on mortgage lenders because since 2008, if there's any wrongdoing in a mortgage closing or a transaction, the burden of that falls on mortgage lenders. And mortgage lenders in these environments trying to save money and trying to fight for margins and, and, and uh, business have done a great job in the recent years compared to historical decades uh, in optimizing and using technology to get ahead. And we find ourselves in the middle of that where risk and fraud have become a topic that they're paying more attention to. Um, for all the reasons I pointed out, percentages have gone up, can't afford to lose money. Uh, one loss of an average $350,000 mortgage loan can lead to an aggregate of close to about a million dollars by the time the lender is done with audits, investigation, penalties, and things of that sort, and time invested in it. And that's a pretty sizable amount for an independent IMB in the country. And so... With, with all these factors I just highlighted, um, it, it, is, it has become one of the top two initiatives at every mortgage lender today. One, to cut cost. Second, to manage risk and compliance. Not to stay ahead, have a proactive defense, have an offense so that you have a defense. Let's put it that way. It's cyclical, right? So the best defense is proactive offense. That means immediately get uh, the arsenal up to date in order to fight and combat fraud, stay ahead of the game. And it comes with its benefits. This automation of preventing fraud and managing risk leads to compliance automatically taken care of, audit stamps or things that you're verifying all the time. And then it leads to a better asset quality when buyers of these mortgage-backed securities buy from these lenders. And beyond that, post-closing reconciliations um, already get mitigated ahead of them being ignored. And the cost of post-closing reconciliations is very expensive compared to an approach where you have a proactive effort in place for managing fraud, risk, and compliance with automation. You mentioned something interesting there, and that is when volumes go down, fraud goes up. And obviously, fraudsters continue to try and find new ways around pr protections that are in installed. Where's your focus in 2023? What are you working on? How are you staying one step ahead of the fraudsters? I think 2023 uh, and looking into 24, uh, fraud is not going away. It's, it's an industry that's um, quite challenging compared to the rest of the world. The housing industry in the U.S. with 50 states, rules, regulations, and all sorts of different um, requirements lead to a very disparate, disjointed environment. And to stitch that up very quickly um, with automation has been hard historically. It's made good progress. 
and will continue to make progress, but it doesn't uh, change overnight. It, uh, it, it requires a disciplined effort from all stakeholders, from lenders, to parties working on their behalf, including com- consumers being aware uh, with advocacy and ed- education and aware, uh, you know, all the efforts uh, in order to inform them that this can happen and these are the ways to prevent yourself. Um, with recent bank failures and the runs on the bank, it uh, created fear in the market, panic in the market, which is a perfect storm for bad actors to incite and work on those fears and direct a lot of traffic in the market. Uh, we saw about you know 70,000 new domains being put together in a matter of hours and days with uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, you know, abbreviated SVB domains or signature, just creating that chaos to take advantage of uh, people in the market. So with what's ahead of us in 2023, as the market turns slowly, hopefully it turns quicker, um, we've seen what interest rates have done and we've seen what inflation has done and what the market looks like right now for a typical mortgage lender. It's the $4 trillion market is down to $1.7 trillion for the last year. God knows where it's going to end this year, but um, there is a sense of opt- optimistic, um, you know, cautious optimism where it's going to lead to a better market than last year. And it's going to come with all these um, efforts of awareness. Uh, we are glued to, uh, we are in the trenches on behalf of the lenders. We deal with all sorts of different schemes on a daily basis. And we stay on top of it by, of course, being on the front line, two, prepared with the best tools available, and three, coordinating and working with other organizations where they call upon us from, you know, government-owned GSEs to FBI to law firms, uh, where we're engaged in analyzing this behavior, staying ahead of it, and providing tools and um, also, anything we can do to help prevent and stay ahead and coordinate with others. Well, I wish you the best of luck staying ahead of the fraudsters. I want to thank you for your time today. I, I very much enjoyed this and uh, think the audience will too. Thanks, Ike. Thanks for having me. Thank you. The International Monetary Fund said the global economy could have a hard landing if interest rates have to remain higher for longer to combat inflation. A recent bank turmoil points to vulnerabilities in the financial system. The organization now expects real global GDP growth of 2.8% this year and 3% in 2024, slightly below estimates from January. However, it raised its growth forecast for the U.S. to 1.6%. BlackRock has raised its overnight call on inflation-linked debt, saying inflation is likely to remain above the Federal Reserve's 2% target for years to come. Quote, We do see inflation cooling as spending patterns normalize and energy prices relent, but we see it persisting above policy targets in coming years. End quote. BlackRock strategist wrote. And U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said she remains focused on the downside risks facing the global economy, including the recent banking sector turmoil and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But the outlook still remains, quote, reasonably bright. End quote. She added that she wouldn't overdo the negativism about the global economy. Have we seen peak inflation? 14 months into the Federal Reserve's contractionary monetary policies, the disinflationary effects are becoming more prominent. 
the release of a cooler than expected CPI report for March, which came in up 0.1% month over month when it was expected to be up 0.3%. As markets now clearly predicting that the Fed's hawkish stance will be sidetracked by slowing economic growth over the second half of 2023. The core consumer price index, which excludes food and energy, rose just 0.4% from the prior month, dropping a tenth of a percent. Measures of housing costs posted their smallest monthly increases in about a year, and grocery prices dropped. Markets forecast rates nearly 1% lower by the start of 2024. The Fed minutes from the March 21st and 22nd FOMC meeting were also released yesterday and showed that the staff forecasted a mild recession starting later this year, with a recovery over the subsequent two years. The minutes also contained a lot of discussion in regard to the banking sector issues and the actions taken by the Fed along with other regulators. However, the market reaction to the minutes was minimal, with yields remaining mostly lower and the yield curve steeper. Anyone who cares about the steepness of the yield curve may want to check out Stratmore's current blog titled The Yield Curve is Inverted. Should lenders care? Today's calendar is already underway with March producer prices, which came in down 0.5%, with core year-over-year at 3.4%, and the headline up 4.9%. Weekly jobless claims were in at 239,000. PPI was expected to increase 0.2% month-over-month and 3.2% year-over-year, and 0.3% month-over-month excluding food and energy, and 3.5% year-over-year versus unchanged and 4.4% previously. Later today brings Treasury announcing the auction sizes of next week's reopened 20-year bonds and 5-year tips auctions before auctioning $18 billion of reopened 30-year bonds. We begin the day with agency and best prices roughly unchanged from Wednesday's close, and the 10-year yielding 3.42 after closing yesterday at 3.42%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. A recession, claimed the stockbroker, is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose your job. And panic is when your wife loses her job. (laughs) Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Simple Nexus, the homeownership platform that unites the people, systems, and stages of the mortgage process into one seamless end-to-end solution that spans engagement, origination, closing, incentive compensation, and business intelligence. To learn more about Simple Nexus, an Encino company, visit simplenexus.com. About the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.